All right, it is All-Star Tuesday. Jeff Blair and Kevin Barker, another home run derby in the books. The All-Star game tonight on Sportsnet 590 The and Sportsnet. So, watching the, the home run derby last night, Barker, and as soon as Shohei Otani goes out of the derby. I know Bob Nightingale tweeted this. You could see you could see fans fans leaving uh, the stadium. I think a lot of people look at it, it is it's Otani Fest. That's what this whole two days is. It's all about Shohei Otani. Um and there were I mean there were some wrinkles in this. Uh, I was like a lot of people I was at least interested in how far the home runs were going as the amount of home runs hit and it would have been nicer to have a it would have been nicer to have a uh, you know a, a a faster an idea of how far the home runs were going um i but you know i don't know how you would reconfigure the scoreboard and the tv set to show you that i know a lot of people complained about that and yeah i was i was mostly interested in the in in the distance of the home runs um but i, I beyond that bark that was a pretty good show and as someone who picked Pete Alonso to win the thing, <laughs> which was not probably the most difficult choice I've made in my life, I have to say that as much as Otani was the show going in, I love the fact that Pete Alonso rose to the occasion and played up to it. And by having a lot of fun doing this, to me, that made the Derby better. Like my lasting impression of the Derby wasn't Shohei Otani going out. My lasting impression of the Derby was just how much fun Pete Alonso had. Yeah, well, Pete Alonso put everybody on notice when he left New York. He says, "I'm winning it. You got no bones he, about he this." He takes this seriously, doesn't he? Like one thousand percent. Well, he, he I, and I mean, Bryce Harper are the two guys, uh, the two guys I've seen in this event who took it, who take it seriously. Like they've got their own prep, they've got everything. Yeah, well, he, you know, notorious B.I.G., he's bouncing his head up and down to that, you know, trying to get a little rhythm, trying to connect his lower half to his upper half, where he was standing at the plate. You know, it's just little things, how good his his BP coach was or BP thrower was. Uh, Dave Jones. Oh, yeah, how about that? Just throw the ball in that? the same spot over and over and over again. It's just unbelievable. Did you see that? Not the yeah, it's tremendous. Did you, you hear what he said after the game? He said, "I'm not the hardest of throwers, but I can close my eyes and hit a spot a lot." <laughs> How about that? So, so not only was Pete Alonso, you know, basically he's cocky. So was his BP thrower, which is tremendous, right? They they showed up to win it. You know, it was Otani for me. You know, after his first, I don't know, 15 swings, he looked really tired to me. He looked like he, you know, I don't know, invested or prepared or just the spotlight and all of the things that went with being Otani over the all-star break here is it's a lot to ask a guy to, to show up and, and, and dominate and beat a guy like Pete Alonso, you know, and it, well, for whatever reason, it, it was what it was. But Pete Alonso is something else. Just, just how he goes about his at bats, how he swings the bat, how easy, effortless it looks, where he wants to pitch, how he can duplicate his swing over and over and over again. Just a small little thing of where he stands in the batter's box is is okay, tremendous. Explain it, that. Explain well, that get, to me. Let's I, talk about. Let's talk about his the average Pete Alonso swing last night yeah 
Yeah, well, okay, I'll give you an example. If you remember watching Trevor's story, and they were talking about it whenever he was playing, how he wanted the ball in, in, off the plate because he basically just wanted to pick his front foot up, set it down, and try and just get the barrel out in front of the plate and do it over and over and over again. Well, if you're a BP thrower and he gives you that small of a target to aim for, it's almost impossible to hit that spot over and over and over again. And when you don't, you don't get in a groove with your lower half and keeping it connected to your upper half like Pete Alonso did. So what's he do? He tells the guy, set up right down the middle. All I want you to do is elevate it. Don't try and throw it down the middle. Elevate it because when you're not throwing it too hard, I can create backspin with that. If I level out my swing, if I have a barrel finish that's above my head, consistently if I can do that over and over and over, again, I can pull it, get the, get the head out in front of the plate, and, you know, with the tremendous power that he has, it's it's second to none. So it was it was just where he was standing with his back foot, even with the back part of the plate, telling the BP guy, hey, just throw it right down the middle, elevate it a little bit, I'll take care of the rest. And I don't know if you noticed, but his last swing, where did he take the ball, Jeff? To back leg city, right? Yes, so it, he did. He, he sort of ended it with that little exclamation of, you know, I, I was here, I called it, I left, I'm still the champion. Now, it'd be interesting to see if he wants to come back three peat. That'd be kind of oh, cool. I bet he does. I, I bet he I, does. Dodger I hope Stadium. He, yeah, I hope he does. You know, it's a, it's it's a little tougher park, but he's a pull hitter. He's got tremendous yeah. power. I don't know why he couldn't come back and repeat. He'd be tough to beat just by the way he involves himself in just how he goes about trying to win it. Right? He knows if I lead off, I got to hit as many home runs as possible. Just continue to throw it. Throw it. Don't give a break. I'm not going to call timeouts. I get locked in. We'll go through this thing. I'll hit 35 homers and make it hard on the next guy. So. It was a lot of fun to watch. I, I had a good time. I, I think uh, the the timed thing is a big deal. Uh, I think it just, you know, when you use your timeouts, like Trey Mancini used his timeout 53 mm-hmm. seconds in, which the first guy trying to set the tone, he's a little nervous. So when he called his timeout, just I, I was happy. I got to be honest with you. I was rooting for Trey Mancini in the finals. I really was. I got, I got to talk a little bit about about the, the, the guy pitching to to – to Pete Alonso, Dave Joseph, a couple of reasons. One, he, he's been on the show a couple of times. He was actually the guy who managed Vladdy uh, Jr. this year in winter ball in Vladdy's brief stint. Now, Dave Jose, this, this this gives you an idea. Of what When you talk baseball lifer, okay, the guy's 64 years old. He has coached with the Red Sox twice, the Dodgers, the Orioles, the Mets twice, including now, where he's their bench coach. And he was with the Pittsburgh Pirates for six years as a coach. He broke into the game in 1988, and that's where I first met him. The Montreal Expos, Dan Duquette, who was his college uh, teammate, uh, hired him as a field coordinator. So between 1988 to 1994, Dave Jost managed the Gulf Coast Expos, the West Palm Beach Expos, and the Harrisburg Senators. Basically, all those guys who are any good (laughs) in in that organization, Dave Jost managed them at one point. Um, he managed winter ball in the Dominican Republic. He's managed Lise. He's managed Escajito, Moises nice. Alou's team. Yeah. He's a friend of the, uh, of the Alou family. Uh, but, I mean, he's been a Red Sox first base coach, Grady Little's bench coach with the Dodgers, bench coach with the Red Sox, bench coach with the Orioles, bench coach with the Pirates. Now he's bench coach again for the Mets. And I figure that, because, Kevin, you know how coaches work. I would be willing to bet that he has thrown BP 50 million times. 
50 million times in his career. He's, he's, a, he's a machine. He is, yeah, he's do, a machine. Do, you th- do you think his BP was that good? And that, yeah, yeah, and, oh, by the way, when Pete Alonso walked up to him and went, hey, I did call my shot. I, I am expected to win this. And I did it in New York. No pressure. But throw the yeah. ball down the middle and elevate it and do it over and over and over and over again so I can hit tons of home runs. It's- but that was the thing because I thought, <clears throat> look, you've taken BP. Well, first of all, what – I'll ask you this because I understand that this is, you know, this is a home run derby, but what was what was a good BP pitcher or who is a good BP pitcher to you? Like John Schneider, Vladdy and John Schneider yeah. are joined at the hip when it comes to BP. I'm sure John's thrown BP to him more than anybody else in the minors and everything. Yeah. But what to you was a good BP pitcher? How, how would you describe that? Well, know, knowing your sweet spot, knowing what it would take to get you in a little bit of a hot streak, that's what it's all about. You know, find your happy zone where he can throw it over and over and over. It Sometimes batting practice will dig me show. you got to get in there. you got to get a little comfortable when it comes to, oh, that feels kind of nice. I hit it right there, and that guy keeps throwing it in the same spot over and over and over again. You don't want to throw it too hard. You don't want to throw it too soft. You want to throw it just right. You want to keep throwing it in the same exact spot all the time. And, oh, by the way, if a guy's struggling and he wants it in a certain location now you got to throw it to that spot too mm-hmm. so there's a lot to ask and then you know last night dave was doing it in front of all these people with a guy that you know cocky coming out saying <laughs> i got this thing yeah. i'm gonna dominate more you. pressure on him oh, he even man. hit him one you, time i love the way he hit him <laughs> they I laughed it off kind of right they laughed it off but it was I, I just thought it was a lot of fun now my my guy joey gallo you know he he changed bats during his round, he had a one-hand finish. Uh, he had a two-hand finish. You could see him stretching a lot. He couldn't get loose. I thought he got tired, too. I thought he got – he was the guy that got tired, I thought. Yeah, it looked like it. And, and the, the word is, too, around him is he's, a, he's an overthinker. He, he overthinks things way too much. And just instead of see ball, hit ball, throw it right here, and I'm going to see how far I can hit it and how many times I can hit it that hard. But, you know, it, it is what it is. Again, I don't think it really mattered who was facing Pete Alonso. He's geared up for this. He has an approach. He has an idea when he wants to call timeout. He has an idea where he wants it when the guy's throwing it to him. He has an idea how many times he wants to pull the baseball. It's just, you know, whenever my front foot's landing and if I can get the barrel driving down and through and I have the finish consistently in the same spot, which is the barrel above his head over and over and over again, because of the, how strong his lower half is and how much power he has, and you're doing it in high altitude. <laughs> Good luck. Salvador Perez said it, said it the best. When he had 35 homers, it was over. <laughs> like the, yeah. Everybody else had been put on nova, notice that he was here to win it, and I, it, it, he was going to have to beat himself for somebody else to beat him. There's two particular physical things I want to talk to you about. One is Trey Mancini. Before every swing, he... He kind of stretched his back. I don't know if you notice it. Before every swing, part of yeah. his timing was to lean back and then come forward. Is that normal for a guy to do that? And and I haven't. I was that something? Do you think he was just doing because it was the home run derby to keep his back loose? Because it was no. You saw it, right? You yeah, saw how yeah. He would lean back and then come in. Well, maybe too. You know, the the higher altitude may tighten you up a little bit quicker. And he was trying to stay loose. I, I know he is a tall hitter. Whenever he mm-hmm. wants to go towards the baseball with his hands, he wants his upper body to be tall because he wants to drive down and through the baseball. He is a more of a line drive hitter than he is a a home run hitter. But last night he was trying trying to create backspin, and that's the finish. You see yeah. the guy 
guys, you know, even with the two-hand finish, they want to create the – they go down and throw it to create backspin, and then they sort of are carrying the baseball off the barrel, and then they finish it up to get the loft with the baseball. And you can consistently just get to your finish. I talk about that all the time, right? Take your pitcher. They used to call that when I was playing after you would take a swing. You hold your swing, take your pitcher. That gets you to repeat it over and over and over again. I, again, I, I, I was standing on the edge. I was not standing, but I was sitting on the edge of my seat hoping the 22 homers that he hit in the final round would do it. I know he was going in with 17 in mm. two minutes, and then he had the, the extra time there, and I was thinking 22 would do it. And then the big guy walked up there bobbing his head, and you sort of knew it was over after that, right? He, he just, for whatever reason, he picked the right music. He picked the right BP thrower. It was the right stadium. Just everything fell in place, and he's going to be tough to beat if he does it again. The other thing I was going to ask you, and this gets back <clears throat> to Dave Jost throwing BP. We'll talk about Shohei in a minute. But the other thing Jost did, and they pointed it out on the telecast, is when he took the ball out of the out of the basket, before he threw it, he'd show it. He'd show the ball to Pete Alonzo, right? Instead of just, because I think most people think BP pitchers just grab a ball out, wind up and throw it, grab another ball. But he showed him the ball so he could follow it almost from... Here it is. It's in my glove. Now I'm delivering it to you. Yeah, it gets you a little rhythm, gets you a little timing. You know, it's it's all about getting in an athletic position to be able to throw your hands at the baseball. You show it to him. That way you can start your load when you need to start it. He was trying to be as, as quiet and as impedable mm-hmm. as possible. And if you see the baseball first, you can get it in your mind that here it comes. Now I go through my little checklist of where I ultimately want to end up with the barrel above my head. It was in, on the flip side of that. You saw Trey Mancini in the last round. Now his BP thrower was quicker. It was because he knew that he had to hit as many home runs as possible because of who was coming up after him. It was more of, I get it, I throw it. I get it, I throw it. I get it, I throw it. They're not so much showing it to you. So you saw different approaches. And for me, they both worked. Like the the one guy was knowing who was behind him and knew what he had to do to try and hit as many home runs as possible. You know, you think up the middle – that gets the direction of your hands going, Trey Mancini. And then if he got it out in front a little bit, he would pull that. If he stayed up the middle, he could still hit a home run because of the thin air. It was just it was a lot of fun to watch a guy that's that thin, that's that small, with quick hands, mechanically doing it. And then you saw Pete Alonso go up, who's just a giant human, looks like a polar mm-hmm. bear, obviously, that yep. can do the things he can do that makes it look effortless. And, you know, he's sitting in his backyard throwing up baseballs. That's sort of what it looked like. But I don't know about you. I bet you Pete Alonso could do at least two or three more rounds. He yeah, just looked he like he was – it's no big yeah. deal. I've taken – I've hit 74 home runs. I could probably hit 74 more homers. Mark, he looked like a guy – you know what he did? He looked like a guy taking batting practice. He did. He sure did. A uh, couple of other things. One, I want to mention Juan Soto. Because to have to hit – to hit three balls in a row when you have to – yeah. To, to Homer and three pitches in a row is quite something. I, I, I mean, I just love Juan Soto. I absolutely love watching him play. Well, you, uh, you know, well, again, not to interrupt, but on the flip side of that, who he was, he had a lefty BP thrower in Kevin Long, which was the right. first time I saw that. I was like, why are you doing that? And then I started thinking about the the. I can't remember their names, but I have had some lefty BP throwers, and I I wondered why I I had them and what it did for me when I was taking batting practice, and and a lot of it was kept my front side in. Like it Uh, didn't. We saw Otani with the flying open, with the stride separation right, and they were even talking about it. Stop pulling the baseball. Think up the middle. Mm -hmm. That'll keep you in the zone a little bit longer. Well, Juan Soto, we saw him hitting homers to left field. 
Yeah. So it was, you know, the things he did, he was standing up taller yesterday. He had the little shorter, more compact leg kick. He would do the big, you know, where he put his toe and his heel was up in the air to keep him more, uh, you know, direct and, and square to the baseball. He is something else. I told you this before we went out on the air. If I could fall asleep, come back as a 20-year-old with somebody swing, it's Juan Soto's. Yeah, you said that. Yeah. And yeah. The, uh, the other thing I want to say about Juan Soto, which I found really fascinating, was he was talking about how I mean, we talked about how there's the, the all-star home run derby curse and guys don't like doing it because it messes up their swing. He said, my swing is messed up right now. I'm looking forward to this. He said, yeah. I'm, I'm going to use this as a means of getting my swing back, which I thought was kind of interesting. Well, the I don't know. If, I don't know if it'll work, but I thought it was kind of interesting. Yeah, the competition too with Otani. You know, it was uh-huh. Otani against Juan Soto, and you could see Vladdy coming over and going, "Hey, this is what you need to do. Look for a pitch right here. Thinking the big part of the field." You could see them all hug, you know, hugged around and, and saying, "This is what you need to do." And they were taking it serious, which is, you know, the elite guys taking it that serious and wanting to beat, you know, their no peers. one wants to be embarrassed. That's, they no they one sure wants don't. to be embarrassed, and, uh, and Otani you, brought it out of them. Yeah, what did you make of Otani's, Otani's run? I was a little surprised, first of all, that he had his interpreter catching. Like, it just seemed to me almost, you know what it was like? He showed up and said, Jesus, I need somebody to catch for me, and I need, uh, oh, God, I got to find a bullpen pitcher, too. Oh, that's not fair. He brought in a guy that's worked with him in the past. But, uh, he, you know, I'm not going to criticize anybody for their home run derby, but, Kevin, it was almost like he wasn't ready. Yeah, maybe. You know, I think he was a little, it was a little unfair for everybody to go, oh, I can't wait to see him hit a gazillion home runs and he'll hit one 600 feet, watch him hit one in the fifth deck in, in Denver because of the thin air and, you know, and then he Which started he didn't look, batting practice, but he did. Yeah, he started to look tired right after about the 15th swing. The stride separating, yeah, that's a very hard thing. His BP thrower kept throwing him down and away, which you know his BP thrower wasn't the greatest. You know, he had trouble because he was he was following Juan Soto. The BP thrower was having trouble moving the cage around, having and Otani right. would have to wait. He would be like, really, you know, let's go. I'm I'm ready to go here. I'm, I'm I got my adrenaline going. I got my heart rate up. So it was just – it was a combination of a ton of things. But I, I do think the stride separation, that's very hard to do. Like you – stride separating is exactly the way it sounds, right? You you stride, you separate your hands from your front foot, you lock it in before the pitch is thrown, and then you want to get off your backside, rotate your hips, throw your hands to the baseball because he's a giant human. He's so strong. He can create backspin and hit the balls very hard. But when you got a guy that's not locating it, and is not throwing it very hard, it's very hard to time that up without getting out in front, out and around, and that's what you saw, a lot of top spin to the pull side. But, look, we we saw exactly what we wanted to see. I, I, I don't think it would have mattered if he gets best mm-hmm. the first round with the way Pete Alonso was doing. Yeah, I, You know, no, I don't I, think it I'm really mattered you. who was hitting against him. I'm with you. I got to tell you, though, you know what I was thinking watching that last night? I was thinking I would love to have seen Vladdy in it. No I would love to have seen Vladdy in it, but uh, at the same time, uh, I, I'm like I'm happy. <laughs> right now, I'd like to wrap them in bubble wrap for the next four days. <laughs> yeah, you know, seriously, I like to wrap them in bubble wrap. Or George uh, Springer. The, well, <laughs> the uh, see, I, you, you can't even get by a show without ripping yeah. on him. I, 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 that's I not mean, really ripping. That's just we're stating the obvious. They're going to need him. Uh, 
We'll talk about that tomorrow. It's walk-off Wednesday. I think t- tomorrow's Wednesday. Yeah, it's walk-off Wednesday tomorrow. So uh, i already thrown out a question. I'm giving you one wish for the Blue Jays. We'll talk about it tomorrow, but this is something to think about now. So don't bother texting now with the answer because I ain't going to read it. I'm not kidding. I'm, I'm kidding. I might read it. But save it for Wednesday. And that is I'm granting you one wish. I'm granting you one wish for the Blue Jays. What would that wish be? You can Jacob text us tomorrow. You can text us tomorrow uh, with that. Right now, though, if you want to reach out and comment on the home run derby, you got a question for Barker. I mean, you got a guy who's taken, you got a guy here who's taken batting practice and hit bombs. And not only was he the mayor of Back Lake City, but he was also known as the Duke of Five O'clock Hitters. Um, so if you got a question, if you seriously, you got a nuts and bolts question about BP, ask Barker. And uh, we'll we'll get to that at the text line. But there's also a little bit of news surrounding the Blue Jays and the return to Toronto. And if you close your eyes and listen, it sounds very much, very much as if there is indeed a chance this team could be back here in a couple of weeks. A chance is all I'm saying. It's like dumb and dumber. You're saying there's a chance. <laughs> we'll talk about it when we come back. It's Baseball Central on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Our friend Joe Siddle weighed in uh, last night, actually. I was going to read his tweet. Joe Siddle's played for, uh, well, played for Dave Jouse. As I said, everybody in that organization played for Dave Jouse. And he said he always threw great BP. Always threw great BP as a manager. So there you go, that from Joe Siddle. The uh, Blue Jays have sent out a release today, and they've given us a few more details on the return-to-play protocol for this year. Now, here's the caveat. Uh, it, it's going to take a couple of weeks to get everything moved or to get stuff moved from Buffalo to Toronto. So I, I always throw that out there because I know everybody's in a hurry for the team to get back. Um, so I'll throw that out there right now. It's going to take a while to get a lot of the stuff moved from Buffalo to Toronto. But if you talk to some of the folks around the Blue Jays, players included, Kevin, there seems to be a thought that July 30th is still in the cards, even though that's only 17 days. Uh, that's a series against Kansas City. The Jays will be on the road, so they, they would be able to, you know, they'll have some lead-in time uh, for the folks in Buffalo to get stuff out of the way. Uh, but here's the thing. Uh, the, the, the Jays have applied, and of course we know that the border rules have been relaxed, but there's still some rules regarding quarantine. Part of the Blue Jays' approach is this. On balance, and yes, we know, we know that there are major league teams that have not achieved the 85% threshold baseball wants teams to achieve in order to relax protocols. There is, let's just say, as far as we know right now, there is no team that is 100% double-vaxxed, including the Blue Jays. Now, I don't know if that means all the Players, this is players, traveling party, support staff, et cetera, et cetera. So understand, and guys in the minors who might be called up. So understand that we're talking about more than the 25-man roster. We're talking about a large group of people. Uh, but here is a couple of things the Jays have said to the federal government, and this is a federal government decision. First, on balance, overall Major League Baseball has more than 85% of its personnel double vaxxed. So even though there are teams like the Chicago Cubs that aren't near that level, on balance, 
85% of the teams are double vaxxed or 85% of the traveling parties and players are double vaxxed, which is better than society in general. Secondly, baseball has shown an ability, certainly this year, to control COVID-19 outbreaks. They've been few and far between. The other thing is the quarantine. And, and this is where a lot of us thought it was going to be dicey because under the agreement that Major League Baseball, the commissioner's office has with the players, if a team achieves 85% double vaccination rate, the day-to-day protocols they have to, fo- to, to follow are relaxed. So you can spend, there's, there's less restrictions on amount of time you can spend in the workout room. There's less restrictions on physical distancing, all that stuff, et cetera, et cetera. Wearing masks in the dugout, all that stuff. So, but here's the thing is, so just because you, you, your team, Team A, let's say, has complied with Major League Baseball's protocols, that doesn't mean that everybody has complied with the protocols the federal government needs to waive quarantine. So what baseball is talking about is a modified quarantine. And what that means is if you are double vaxxed, or I'll say fully vaxxed, you have to follow the same rules as everybody else coming across the border, right? That means you gotta you got to have proof of vaccination. You've got to show positive or a negative COVID test. And in the case of baseball, essentially everybody who is double vaxxed is going to be tested every day uh, when they're in Toronto. This is if this goes according to plan. As for players who aren't vaxxed, they will be restricted to their hotel rooms or in the case of the players in Toronto, their place of residence. That sounds onerous, but think about it this way. If you are a player coming into Toronto, I don't know, let's say the uh, let's say Kansas City's coming in and they haven't achieved 85%. I don't know. Or let's say you're a player with the Kansas City Royals, you're not vaxxed for whatever reason. To get into the country, you would have to do the same thing as any other non-vaxxed person. You'd have to pass a test, and then you would have to quarantine for 14 days. Now, even if you're only staying in Canada for three days, that means of those 14 days, you would have to stay in your hotel room for three days. Then you would be allowed to go to the ballpark. So there's a lot of – essentially what baseball is trying to do, Kevin, is take is take this – and marry it with this, right? The federal government rules and restrictions are guidelines and try to and, and try to come up with, with an answer. And I think the fact that Toronto FC is going to be playing a game here uh, this weekend suggests that they're a lot more confident now, Kevin, than they were earlier about playing here on July 30th. The two dates have been July 30th and August 20th. Yeah, I'm sure if and, you're a Blue Jays well, I'm sure if you're a Blue Jays player, you do whatever it takes to get back to the to Toronto and, and play yep. in a home stadium, a big league stadium. I'm sure if you're a pitcher on the Blue Jays team, you're tired of playing in Buffalo. And, you're, you're and let's sure. just say this, Kevin. We've talked to people, and we know that we know. And this isn't telling tales out of school. There are players in that team who are pissed right now. There you go. Not, not at, They they understand why. They understand why. But uh, there are players on that team that are pissed about having to. Um, uh, playing a minor league about park. Playing a minor league park, exactly. There you go. Uh, oh, this is going to be great. I'm really looking forward to this interview. Yes. We're going to bring in Dante Bichette, 
uh, will join us. Dante, thanks so much for joining Kevin and myself. I know what I can only imagine what type of a day it's been for you and is going to be for you. So I really appreciate your time. I just got to ask you, man, you got your son in an all-star game in the city where you were a legend. I, I, I can't put it any other way. How does that feel? You know, it's it's been really pretty surreal. I you know when he's when he's going to go to to the plate tonight, <clears throat> I almost feel like I can see through his eyes because I've been there. So that kind that is that is just really kind of neat. You know, he was he was four months old when I played in the uh, All Star game in Colorado twenty three years ago. So it's uh, it's almost like it's supposed to be. You know. Okay, I, I know you, you and your son have had conversations about Pete Alonso. What were your first impressions after you've had a night to sleep on what we saw? I know you've taken batting practice a ton. I've tried to take batting practice. I know Bo takes it all the time. What Pete did in that stadium is no joke. What did you think? <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean, there's no doubt. Um, you know, I've seen McGuire pepper the scoreboard, though, so – so mm. I just want to say that <laughs> um, <laughs> McGuire would pepper the scoreboard and go over the tundra sign. So when you relook at that, think about that, you know, so he was a different animal, but yeah, man, those guys are freaky. I mean, Otani going in the, the third tank. I mean, it's a lot of fun, almost a little bit like the Daytona 500 though, man, the first three or four laps, you're like, Holy smokes, these cars are fast. And then it's like, Wait, 500 laps later, they're still they're still fat, you know. So it, it was fun. Dante, I can remember covering you when you were at the Blake Street Bombers. It was you, Walker, Castilla, Jesus, Andres Galarraga, Ellis Burks, and tell us about what you guys used to do during batting practice. Because I remember one road trip in, the Expos did not want their players to watch you guys taking batting practice. Or their pitchers, I'm sorry. No, their pitchers, I'm sorry, pardon me. They told their pitchers, stretch inside, do not go outside and watch these guys taking batting practice. Tell us about that, because you guys used to, I mean, BP there was frightening for a visiting team. Yes, yes. Don Baylor did that on purpose. He would put us in the last group, and teams usually stretch right by the by the turtle, right, right you know, during the last group while they hit, so... You know, it was uh, the bombers in the last group, you know, bomb. And, and uh, it was a little bit of intimidation factor. I think he got that from the Oakland A's when the Bash brothers, McGuire and, and Consego, they used to do the same thing. So, yeah, that was fun, fun days. How do, how do you think Bo would do in a home run derby? You know what? Bo has actually been in a few home run derbies, and he's, and he's won pretty much every one. I don't know if he'd hit the longest, but he can get in a groove and uh, I would love, you know, they asked him to do it, you know, and he, he's like, I don't deserve it yet. But hopefully I, he gets a shot one day to, to uh, you know, he's only 182 pounds. So that right there is a, is a story in itself, you know, so it'd be fun. Hey, do you buy anything into the concern that guys can screw their swings up taking part in a home run derby? You know, the old the old all-star home run derby curse. You know what? I yeah, I guess possibly they could, but I think at the same time, uh, it can actually help you. You know, guys sometimes can get a little passive and all, and just airing it out once in a while can uh, help you uh, with your intent at the plate. So it used to help me. I used to love to do them, but, um, you know, I guess everybody's a little different. 
Okay, you're, you just talked about that. Juan Soto actually mentioned that he was thinking that the home run derby could help him mindset-wise. You know, he, he was throw, he was facing a lefty yesterday, which you would think being a lefty that would keep his front side in. He was a little taller yesterday. Do you think we could see his approach from last night carry over into the second half? Absolutely. And, yeah, he, what, he only got 10, 10 or 11 homers this year. Yeah. You would think Juan would you – know, so maybe he needed to get himself a little more aggressive and – and, and and get that stroke going. Absolutely. I think a home run derby can get you to do that. I, I would, I'm in for that. Dante, I know, again, I know your time is really tight here, so I'm going to ask you just one more question. What are you going to tell Bo tonight? Or what have you told him about the, the all-star game itself? And just what's your read on his first half? I know that's two questions. So, Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm not going to tell him anything. The only thing I told him was get there early because – there's going to be a room full of autographs from the players and it's going to take an hour and a half to get it done. I said, get there early and get that over because that can, that'll be looming over you the whole time and you'll be thinking about it. (laughs) So that's the biggest thing I told him. Other than that, I said, have a blast. (laughs) And as far as this season goes, you know, I think, you know, he had the power early. I think about 30 games ago, he made a big adjustment and he, he cut down the strike. He almost eliminated strikeouts. And then you really start to, to see the consistency come out in him. I think that was a really good adjustment for him to make. So he's, he, you know, he's, it's his first full season. It's, it's a long season, and he's starting to make those kind of adjustments and, and realize who he is and find out things. And, you know, it's been really neat for me to just sit back and watch. And, and defensively, I know he's made some errors, but, man, only thing I would say about defense is, you know, he, he showed the arm and the speed, but – you know, if you look at guys in the past like Cal Ripken, Cal Ripken made 25, 26, 26 errors his first year, three years. Uh, Ozzy Smith, the greatest guy ever, made 25 errors his first year. Uh, uh, Robin Yount made 40. Barry mm-hmm. Larkin made 29. So if, if people are just patient with him, I think he, those things are going to go away. And I think he'll, he'll end up being actually a pretty special shortstop and, uh, and, and help lead that organization a championship so that's you know i'm dad i got to be positive with all this and i think i feel like that's where he's kind of headed yeah well i always tell people go look at Derek jeter's errors totals this first three years and then get back to me because <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. he made a ton of them hey dante listen again we really do appreciate your time frank thanks for this man and enjoy the game and pass on our best to Bo. we hope he has a lot of fun thank you so much all right guys no Take problem care. see you guys all righty that's dante bichette who's also a uh, advisor slash coach with the Blue Jays. He used to come up to the plate. They'd play sledgehammer on the uh, <laughs> Peter Gabriel sledgehammer. And they used to have this big, I mean, the scoreboard there was, yeah. was phenomenal. And back then, the place was rammed. There were like 40,000, 45,000 people. And they had this thing where the, where the players would walk towards the screen holding a bat except Dante would walk towards the screen holding a sledgehammer. That's it was awesome. Just, it, oh, it was so much fun. It yeah, was yeah. so much fun. I don't know if you know this or not. Dante uh, threw me out trying to go first to third when I was a brewer and he was a red. He, played, he was playing right field, and I'm like, that's an old guy out there. I'm, I'm a young guy. I can cut the corner at second base and take third. He threw me out at third base. I was so upset, but that's kind of funny. That's yeah. kind of a funny story. Yeah, they were uh, – the Blake Street Bombers were uh, were just – were amazing and i actually saw the first the expos were the first opponents for the rockies 
uh, in their first year. They were playing at Mile High Stadium. And I remember the first I – mean, we had a series there. I, I'd have to go back and look at the exact numbers. But I swear to God, it was a Sunday afternoon. It was a five-hour game. There were 15 pitching, uh, pitching changes. It had snowed. It was cold. And then because it's Colorado, right, it snows, it's cold. Then it's about 50 and sunny <laughs> yeah, halfway through right. the game. Then it gets cold again. <laughs> and it – I, and Mile High Stadium was it was just remarkable, but uh, yeah, they, they were the Rockies. I've always thought that you know there are franchises in sports that you would like to see win a World Series just because of how much fun it would be, and and that is such a cool ballpark. If if they could ever win a World Series, it would be remarkable. Yeah, somehow they got to figure out the the when they're there for for periods of time. Like say they come in and they have a, a ten game homestand, and mm-hmm. then they leave. They go away for you know six games, and they come back. It's that going. It's that coming and going and coming back, and and that how hard it is on your body, and what pitchers have to do to to you know change grip on baseballs, and and where you want to locate things, and you might have to pitch backwards. Just a lot goes in. To, you know, it's not always talent that you have to get through an entire season at, at high altitude. But I think Dante had 140 RBIs one season in Denver. Like he was, he was yeah. some kind of good man. Like, and if I'm not mistaken, 140 RBI didn't get you an MVP award. It did not. No, he finished second back in those days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wonder who the hell, who would be voting back then? I don't know. Whoever they were, I don't they clearly. Know. Clearly, they need to give their head a shake. Uh, it's Baseball Central. We'll take a break. Be back. Go to the text line. We got a great text for Barker on batting practice that we're gonna uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk about. You got any more questions for Kevin? Because that's what home run derby is, right? It's glorified bat- batting practice. Maybe you're a coach. Maybe you're a player. Maybe you want some tips. This is a guy to tell you about it. It's Baseball Central on Sportsnet 590. The fan. Seven o'clock tonight will be the All-Star Game. Vladdy, Teoscar, Bo, Marcus Semyon, they will all be in the starting lineup. Vladdy's going to hit behind Shohei Otane. Wonder if Vladdy will take any pitches. <laughs> Shohei Otani's also going to pitch. Funny line from Kevin Cash about uh, about baseball agreeing to change the rules to allow Otani to pitch and stay in the game. He said they had to do it. Otherwise, I know I'd screw it up with the double switch or something like that. <laughs> to which I felt like saying, no, you've already got it figured out. I mean, you yeah, know. Yeah. You know that the Rays know how this game's going to end You knew up. it five years ago. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> had to figure it out five years the ago. The khakis were in the little room in, in, right. in the stadium trying to figure out things happen, that were going to happen five years from now. That's right. R2-D2, man. R2-D2's got got the all-star game all figured out 590 is the text line i mentioned that the all-star the home run derby is like kind of like glorified batting practice um and barker of course has taken a ton of batting practice i've watched a ton of batting practice i've never taken batting practice mm. so if you got a question for barker on that 590 is the text line we still got a few minutes left scott from Alora has a really good question i thought on batting practice so let's say a guy wants to work in hitting sliders, and in batting practice, the guy throwing is tossing baseballs in. How does someone develop the skills in BP to hit stuff moving far more during a game and throwing hard? I don't get it. Seems to me you want to work on hitting hard thrown stuff with movement. That's, that's, Scott, that's actually it's probably a better question than you think it is. 
Kevin, yeah, how, yeah, well, how would you answer that? Well, well, you know, if you want to see something like if, if you're having trouble with breaking balls, let's say Randall Gritchick, you know, doesn't like the breaking balls, hitting somewhere around 200 on a breaking ball. He would show up early. You know, you would get out on the field. They get the pitching machine that throws breaking balls that would throw you a slider, and they'd crank it up a little bit. You know, a hard slider somewhere in that. Now, not everybody can throw a 90-mile-an-hour slider, you know, like a Robbie Ray, but, you know, you you crank it up to 86, 87. You'd see the break. You would see what you have to do to McCann to be able to drive down and through the baseball, get the barrel out in front. Because, you know, even on the ball away, you still got to hit the hit the ball out in front of the plate. So you, you get the timing, you get the rhythm, you get in your, your mind, and you get that uh, that internal clock that tells you when I see it breaking, when it's starting here, this is how much it's going to break if it's this mile per hour. That'll tell you, you know, where a strike will end up. If it, if it starts here, then if it's this hard, it's probably going to be a ball, those kind of things. And I used to use Iron Mike. Yeah, I, at the end of my career, the only way I was staying in the big leagues is I was a pinch hitter in the National League. And I would go in – in the in the batting cage and use the iron mic. The iron mic is just basically an arm that goes around in a circle that you can crank the mile per hour up, and it throws this as hard as you basically tell it to throw. I would mm-hmm. crank it up to 100 miles an hour, and the only reason I would do that, I wasn't trying to hit the ball hard. I was just trying to get the feel of my front foot hitting the ground and what it took for me to mechanically be able to just think of hitting everything with a firm front leg. That's all all I was trying to do, it wasn't about, you know, barreling up the ball or how hard I was hitting it or where I was hitting it. I just wanted to see the mile per hour, and I wanted to get the feel of, okay, I want to hit it right here. What do I have to do to be able to get myself in that position to be able to make contact to actually give myself a chance to hit a ball hard? And that's all the that's all batting practice is all about is you know perfect practice makes perfect that's all you're trying to do you don't go out there to take a thousand swings unless you're just basically lost and most of the time if you're lost you're not in the big leagues you're in the minor leagues most of the time you know you're going out there it's 15 20 swings it's you know 20 pitches on the machine it's 20 soft tosses it's something that just gets you in the groove to say okay this is what it feels like when it's right and if I do it over and over and over again, I'll know that one time that I do it wrong and I can correct it real quick to where I don't do it wrong anymore. And now I get back to doing it right. So that's the whole point in taking batting practice and all the arms and machines. How many coaches – I was – I should know this because, again, I've, I've watched it. But how many coaches would throw in an average batting practice for a major league team? I'm thinking – I'm thinking it'd be three or four per day. Yeah, well, we have we have we have four groups. You know, you you have the three groups that are starters, and then you right. have the the one group that's not the starters, and mm-hmm. and the one group is usually the the you know the the. The, the coach is not the best of PP throwers. It's usually the guy that would throw to people, you know, the, like the Jonathan Davises, like the Kevin Barkers, like the backup catcher, like the, you know, the guy, the middle infielder that never plays. It's the guys in that group that usually you get the worst BP thrower. And, you know, you're having fun. I, I know at the Rogers Center when I played for the Blue Jays, I'd go straight from, you know, where the weight room at in Jeff was in left field. I would yeah. go straight from the weight room. I'd go in there and lift weights and I'd come running out to go right to the cage because that was my little routine and I knew Gibby would you know he'd be horsing around wouldn't show up till the last group he'd come out ah, be talking to everybody and making fun and all these things and I'd be hey Gibby look look over here look how far I can get the ball maybe he'd put my name in a lineup never worked so but that Joe, was my plan 
Yeah, Joey in North Battleford, Saskatchewan, wants to know if they tailor... This is kind of a similar question, I guess. Do they tailor BP to the scouting report of the starting pitcher that day? I, you know, I, 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 Richard Griffin, who's the Jays' PR director, probably has seen this more often than I did. But back in the day when Tim Wallach was with the Expos, you'd, you'd still, there were a couple of knuckleballers. And Wallach had a legit knuckleball. Like, he prided himself on it. So he would throw BP on days they were facing a knuckleballer. That's the only time I can remember, uh, you know, like if I've got, if you've got a lefty throwing on the mound, I don't know if you have more left-handed guys throwing BP than, than righties. The, the only time I can remember it being specific was that, was Tim Wallach, just because he could throw a knuckleball. Yeah, it would be the lefty-righty thing. If you, you know, in certain guys in, in – on certain teams that play every day, don't want to see a lefty if they're facing a lefty. They're they're more really? yeah they they get just the, because they okay. use batting practice in different ways. Every hitter is different. Like every guy is different. It's like Juan Soto yesterday using a left-handed BP thrower in a in a home run derby. Who does that? But the only thing I can think of is he knew that by using him, he knew he would probably throw it where he wanted it because right. you know Kevin Long knows exactly what makes him mm-hmm. tick and where he can hit the ball hard. But also it kept his front sided longer. Right now right. he's directional up the middle. Now that's not always where he wanted to hit the baseball, but he knew if he could get everything going that way, the barrel would stay in the hitting zone. He could create backspin, and the more backspin you created because of all. All the things going on with Juan Soto, he can hit a bunch of home runs. But that, for me, was most of the thing. And most of your better hitters got the best BB thrower. Like, they would, yep. you know, it was like Troy Gloss when I was here would always pick one certain guy because that one certain guy, it's like wearing the same pair of socks when you're 10 was for it, 10. Was it Figgy? Because Figgy, Figgy was around the team for years. And he yeah, was like fi- a machine. Figgy, Figgy threw to our group a lot. Yeah, he okay, would, he well. would, because he would be in the bullpen, but he threw great BP. Whenever Troy Gloss wasn't playing a ton, he would always bet me on how many home runs, and he'd bet us, bet me food, and because you know he got tons mm. of money, he was going to bet me money, so he would bet me things like washing cars. Just so <laughs> I'll just tell you right now, I never lost. Let's just put it to you that way. Well, yeah, there are guys, and it, it's true, isn't it? There are guys who were great BP hitters. There are. Yeah, I, I, I used it because I knew my role. My role was, even in the American League, I knew Gibby was going to use me late in the game against a guy that threw a bazillion miles an hour. And the only way that I could get the feel of hitting a home run and creating backspin was to do it in batting was practice. Hit a home run? If you can't do it in batting practice, you're not going to do it in the game. So that was my goal and my routine was to try and do that as much as I could. Very quickly, this is a question I have for you. Did you change bat weights during I did. BP? The, no, not not during BP, but during the season, the hotter it got, the lighter my back got. Now I do I do know guys that uh, that Ryan Howard was a guy that the hotter it got, the heavier his back got because he thought I could raise my hands higher, and all I now have to do is use the weight of the bat to just take my hands because of the weight and the heavy bat, it'll just drop it and go down and through. And because Ryan Howard's a big giant human who had bat speed and hand-eye coordination, he could hit the ball further than everybody. It's again. You know, if it works for you, you're going to keep using it, and that's what every hitter did. Bark, this has been a lot of fun. We will do this again tomorrow. It'll be walk-off Wednesday from 2 to 3. We'll take a look back at the first half, look ahead to the second half. Your study question, your homework for tomorrow, and I will be grading it, your homework for tomorrow, you got one wish for the Blue Jays, player, pitcher, whatever. What would that wish be? 595-90 is a text line. Do not send it in now. Think about it. Text us tomorrow.